Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. In your presence, we are changed. Thank you, Father, for bringing Rob and Mary here on this day, at this time. We ask you to bless them. Bless their work in Africa and their work here, wherever they go. Amen. So, um, Wednesday is the 1st of August, so we've got our sign-up sheet for uh, Cover Cheyenne on the table. Make sure you sign up for a time to pray. Uh, seemed like I had another. Oh yeah, we're we're receiving a love offering for Rob and Mary. So uh, whichever one of the boxes you put your offering in, that will determine where it's going. So <laughs> we we want to bless them. Uh, so Rob, uh, he's going to share with us this morning, uh, and Mary, you had uh, something too, so uh, you guys uh, take it from here. <laughs> Greet you in the name of Jesus this morning. It's good to be back here in Cheyenne. That's right. Praise the Lord. Uh, firstly, we want to, to thank the church for standing with us, praying for us, supporting the work that we're doing in Africa. So we're going to start by showing a, a short video of the work that we're doing, and then we'll share the Word of God and see what the Lord does. Amen. program to about 200 children now ages 9 to 14. Schools in the community of Osadero. As you can see, our children are playing here. The community 
22 of Busabelo has been hit by the virus, by HIV that has led to so many children as orphans. The program has had a great impact in our community and influencing the children to follow the Lord with their lives. And as a result of, of this program, the crime has gone down in the children and also in one of the, our local schools here, their result has improved so much. And also the food that, been that we are providing here for the children has been a source of nutrition for the children and also a source of support for those families that are struggling. the word of God with them every time we meet and we feed them. This is our in-school program. And be different as young people. go to every junior and senior secondary school in our city and the surrounding villages, reaching about 10,000 youth several times each year. This is an outreach to women in the community, both saved and unsaved. Center and other community work we're doing. Behind me you see a field area and this will be the first field area that we'll plant and it's about 16 acres that we'll be planting just as soon as we get our irrigation in place. If you look at those trees in the far distance just below those trees is a river that supplies water year-round. You see even though the farm looks very green right now we're just coming to the end of our rainy season and we're a semi-arid country here, and in order to grow crops year-round, we need that strong water supply. That's a dairy building. It's 190 It's the workers' housing we're just beginning to build. Botswana has been hit very hard by the HIV AIDS pandemic. Current statistics tell us that 8% of the population is made up of children who have lost at least one parent. Despite the efforts of the government, the problem is just too massive and too big. Many children find themselves in a situation where they need a place like this where they will feel loved and supported and free from neglect and abuse. We want to welcome you inside Orphan Home Number One. 
each orphan home is made to house 12 children. In the future, we'll have 20 orphan homes. And we'll also build a vocational training center and Christian school so children can leave here prepared for the future they face. We want these children to experience the truth that God is a father to the fatherless. And so we're asking you to partner with us as we're about to open orphan home number one and orphan home number two. Let's go into one of the children's bedrooms. You know, I'm reminded of one of the promises of the Lord in Psalm 127, that children are as arrows in the hand of the Lord. And as we've prayed over the years for the children that will make children of promise orphan sent to their home, the Lord has shown us that God is going to raise up children from this place to be instrumental in this nation for His glory. the roof on house number three. That's some of the work that we do. I think the video actually started somewhere in the middle. So you missed our church work, and um, we also speak to about 1,100 children a week at two different schools, um, as well as, as what you saw there. So we want to thank you for your prayers uh, and your continued love and support of us and the work we're doing there. Uh, I don't know if I, it was uh, before the last time that I was here. Um, I received a call from the, the government of Botswana to come and address all the leaders of the nation. Uh, on the subject of leadership before they wrote their 20-year plan for the nation uh, last year. And so God has opened doors for us uh, to speak to the leaders of the nation so we could help to direct them in a godly way. We thank God for that. Thank you for your prayers. And we're expecting great things uh, for us to expand the Bible schools uh, and other areas that will be happening soon. We plan on translating to other languages as well uh, and send them into uh, more northern uh, Africa as well as into India. So we appreciate your prayers. Amen. I'm going to ask you to uh, uh, join me in prayer as we ask the Lord's blessing upon his word this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you're here with us this morning and that you're for us. And Father, that you have things to say to us. So we ask, Lord, that you'd give us grace to hear and grace to communicate in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn with me in your Bible to the book of uh, Matthew chapter 16. We are busy missionaries. Praise the Lord. Sorry? <laughs> Matthew chapter 16. Okay, we're going to start in a familiar passage. Um, it's actually where Jesus is talking to his followers, and he asks them a familiar question. We, we know this verse probably pretty well. Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And they responded by saying, you know, some say you're Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You know, some say John the Baptist. And Jesus asked this question. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, but you are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. This is verse 16. Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, in Botswana, we've been doing a series in our congregations on the subject of the church, and I would like to talk to you a bit about the subject of the church this morning. The church is referred to as being the body of Christ. Not simply the body of Jesus, but the body of Christ. And so when Jesus was asking this question, Simon said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it is on this revelational truth where God reveals it to individuals, that God reveals that Jesus is more than simply the Son of God. Yes, we need to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. Hallelujah. We need to confess that he's the Son of God. But the church is not simply built by people that understand that Jesus is the Son of God. See, Jesus said on this rock, on this revelation that you are the Christ, that is the revelation that's going to allow him to build the church. Hallelujah. Okay, so if we want Jesus to build the church, we need to walk in the revelation of him not only being the Son of God, but him being the anointed one. Hallelujah. And they are really two different sides of a coin. In the sense that God desires to build his church, not simply on a revelation of Jesus being the Son of God, but on a revelation of Jesus being the anointed one. And as we're called to be the body of Christ, we're called to be the body of the anointed one. Not simply the body of a historical or even a a figure of Jesus being the Son of God, we're called to be the body of the Anointed One. It is Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is not simply Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so there was a moment in time where Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. And from that moment, he has not changed. The moment that he became Jesus Christ uh, in, in experience, from that point, he has not changed. Hallelujah. And so as you and I are called to be part of building or, or being built into the church that the Lord desires to build, we must understand that it is the body of Christ. It's the body of the anointed one that is being built. Hallelujah. And so many groups in the world are pulling away from the revelation of Jesus Christ. They're wanting to dumb it down to, you know, to do away with all expectations of the supernatural and get to a place where we simply have Jesus as God because we know that some people have gone into extremism, but there is a reality of Jesus being the Christ that allows him to build his church. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus shared the scriptures for many years. The Bible says it was his custom to go into the synagogue and share. So he probably did that from the time that he was 12 until the time he was 30. But Jesus did not amass followers until the day in which the Spirit of God came upon him and allowed him to do things that he did not do before. And when he became an experienced, the Christ, the anointed one, 
it allowed people now to be drawn to him and leave their lives behind. Hallelujah. It was the revelation of the Christ that drove people to baptism in water, even with John the Baptist. They wanted the Christ. They wanted the Messiah. Hallelujah. All right, so let's look at a few uh, things in this passage, and then we'll, we'll go back and move, move along. Now, as Jesus reveals that, uh, or his, he has this conversation about building his church, I will build my church, and that's what we need to recognize. It's his church, and he's responsible for building it. But it is on this revelation that he's building it. And then let's skip over this first part. We'll come back to it. And Jesus goes on and says, uh, verse 20, Then he commanded his disciples that they should not tell anyone that he was Jesus the Christ. It's kind of amazing, huh? That he actually told people, don't tell people who I am. Let them come to a revelation of who I am. Now, we don't, we're not living under the same direction anymore, but they were. And so he said, uh, from this time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things by the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, uh, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now, Peter said uh, in the original language something like this, God is too good or God is too gracious to allow this to happen to you. Now, Jesus has already said that he's going to build his church. And now he's actually revealing how he's going to build it. He's going to build it by first being a suffering Messiah. Hallelujah. And so Peter comes and says, no, this, uh, this doesn't fit with my understanding of God, that you be a suffering Messiah. I mean, God simply wants to use you. We've seen how he uses you. We, God certainly wouldn't want you to suffer. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me because you have to understand that if you want to be used by God, it also is going to lead you in the path of suffering. See, there's a lot of people who want to be used by God, but they don't understand that that is only one part of the equation. If God is calling to use you, he's also going to call you to the cross. And so Jesus went on to say, he said to him, if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And actually what he said to him is, God is good enough to bleed you in the path of the cross. That's how God is gracious to you. God is going to cause you to suffer. Now, he's not going to cause you to suffer sickness, thank God. Okay, well, we could talk about that this morning. But he's going to cause us to suffer under the abuse of other people. And he says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to understand that this is the package. You don't get one side of the package. So some people's understanding of God being so good basically means I float through life and God showers me with blessings 24 hours a day. And if that doesn't happen, then I don't understand what's happening in my life. And that is not what Jesus said. Yes, God is gracious, but God is letting us know that not only is our Messiah a suffering Messiah, his followers must be suffering followers. And without the suffering follower, he cannot build his church. Hello? Without the follower that's willing to suffer, to do what the Lord wants them to do, he cannot build his church. 
So unless he's got people that are willing to deny themselves and say, you know what, Lord, I give up the right to my pathway. I give up the right to my timing and what I want to do with my life and how I want to spend my money and how I want to spend my time. I deny myself from telling me what to do with my life. Does that involve suffering? Yes, but that is the only way that he can build his church. Anything that is built out of convenience is not the church. So we want to, you know, we want to, you know, pull back and, you know, God is so good. That's why he wants me to be able to sit in front of my television hours on end. And, you know, he just wants, you know, he doesn't ask much from me. Just, you know, to retire and, you know, enjoy myself. And God is saying, no, I want to build my church. And that's why I'm calling you to sacrifice. Hallelujah. And I know I might be preaching to some of the choir here this morning. But there's nothing wrong with that. But you understand what I'm saying. So, you know, as, as our young lady in the, the video said, you know, we'll just be the catalysts. But we have to understand how God does build his church. Hallelujah. Anything less than that is not the church. It might be a large gathering of people, but it's not the church. You know, I was reading something recently, and it was talking about, you know, the word church. Uh, uh, actually, you know, when Jesus used this, and that's not, I'll get to what I'm, I read, but uh, Jesus used the word church. It comes from two words, ek, which means out of, and klesia, which means to be called out. Now, as the word church began to reach the Gentile nations, places like Greece, they were familiar with the word church, or ecclesia, we would say. We've translated church. The ecclesia was a group of people that were called out of the larger group of society and actually met and assembled together to determine where the society would go. So they were an assembly out of a larger group that actually determined where society would go. What would be the norms? What would be the laws? What would be the directions? This was the assembly of Athens. They were the ecclesia. So I believe when God is using this term, he's also saying to us, we're a group called out of the world. Hallelujah. We need to be called out from it. We need to be separate from it. We need, to, we need to not fit in. We're called out to assemble together to determine where the larger group goes. Hallelujah. But unless we allow ourselves to come out of the larger group fully, we cannot influence the larger group. You know, and you see this even with the children of Israel. Uh, they were, you know, God chose, they were God's chosen people. But God's plan was never to keep them simply as his chosen people. He wanted to use them to influence the world around them. He wanted them to be a, uh, a catalyst for the world to follow God. God never intended just simply to have a small remnant. Hallelujah. If you, if you go with me, we'll come back. Let's go over to the book of Numbers, chapter 14. I believe that we're called to influence. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, when God spoke to me years ago in Botswana, I was praying one night about, you know, many different things in the ministry, and the Lord spoke to me and said, start playing sports with children. 
And I said, Lord, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm come to Africa to play sports with kids. I know I want to be a church planter. I want to do the spiritual stuff. You know, I want to. And it was very clear. Play with kids. So I told my wife, and you know, I've got a wonderful wife, and she's, you know, she says, "Okay, let's go for that." And we started playing with, you know, kids, hundred of them first, rounded them up, going through the neighborhood. Only white guy there. Lots of criticism. Lots of slander, lots of accusations. We were the subject of school meetings where they would say, you know, this white guy is, you know, he's wrecking our kids and what, what, what. And, you know, that hurt. That was our cross. Here we were trying to help and we were misunderstood and spoken about and maligned and so forth. But it grew from, you know, 100 kids to 300 kids. And then we, we launched another area. The government actually came and said, can you start another area? They gave us a building to use. We started another 100 kids there. We went somewhere else. We were up to 600 kids. Then the government came to us and said, can you start influencing, you know, at the schools? That's what we want to do all along. So we started working with people in the schools, and our ministry grew so that we were influencing all the junior and senior schools. Now, I'm saying all those people are Christians, but we're talking to them about Christ and the principles of following God. Hallelujah. And hearts are softening, and Christians that are at the schools are being encouraged. Some of the students have now given their lives to Christ. Some that were going to commit suicide have been saved. Hallelujah. And wonderful things have happened. You know, it's just one thing after another, praise God. Yes, we're doing church planting, and we've started a Bible school. You know, but the government coming and asking me to speak to the leaders didn't happen because I was behind a pulpit. It happened because we were influencing the community. Hallelujah. And so you, yourself, whatever it is, you, you know, you might say, well, for sure he would use, you know, Brother Rob to do that because, you know, he's got a pulpit or so forth. No, it was because I started playing with a soccer ball and I didn't even know how to play soccer. It's not my sport. But God has a plan. Hallelujah. And he's used my wife and I to, to begin to influence. Praise God. And that's what we have to understand about the church. The church needs to stop complaining about its lack of influence. You know, years ago, that's how everyone, they just, you know, I'd go from one church to another and they'd all be complaining. Because we were talking about, you know, the political world. We live in another realm that allows us to affect that world. Hallelujah. Okay, so we're in Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, uh, what has happened is the children of Israel have refused to go into the promised land. And, and the reason they didn't go into the promised land was not for any other reason except a lack of faith. Yes, there were obstacles, there were giants. God never promised to remove them uh, without faith. And so whatever God is calling you to do in your life is going to require a measure of faith. Okay, not the measure of faith, but a measure of faith. God is never going to ask you to do something that you can do yourself. Hallelujah. It's always going to be bigger than you. And that's why it requires faith. But the land of promise is on the other side of exercising faith. 
See, the land of promise is not on this side where everything is comfortable and you can look at it and assess it and say, I can do this. The land of promise is on the other side. Hallelujah. And that's why Jesus said to his followers, we've got to cross over to the other side. But from getting to the other side, there's a storm in the middle and you need your faith to get to the store, through the storm so you can get to the other side. See, the Bible says even with Jesus, when they were in the storm, many boats started out with Jesus crossing to the other side. But when the storm arose, those boats went back. There was only one boat that made it to the other side, and it was the boat that Jesus was in. Hallelujah. Have you ever read that story really clearly? It says, you know, Jesus dismisses the crowd and says, and they took him as he was into the boat. They took him. Hallelujah. I believe what they said to Jesus is, we can handle this. We're fishermen. You go, you know, go and rest. They took him. And they realized that actually that would not work to get them to where God wants. Hallelujah. In other words, God has to deliver us from our self-confidence that we can actually bring Jesus to where we need to bring him. We need Jesus to bring us there. Hallelujah. And so the Bible says they had the sense in the midst of the storm to say, you need to wake up because we need you. Uh, we, we can't handle the storm ourselves. But we need to understand as Christians that there is a storm that we have to go through to get to the other side. And that's why it requires faith. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so you individually, you even as a church, might be going on your journey to the other side, but you've got to understand it's going to take faith to get there, and the storm is going to be there to try to stop you and have you turn back for sure. Hallelujah. And what we need to do in the midst of that is say, no, Jesus, you wanted us to get to the other side. We, it was in your heart to bring us to the other side. It wasn't something that we wanted to do. Uh, we would have been happy being over here. You want us to go further, you've got to take us there. And so, you know, arise. Hallelujah. So in, in I'll keep trying to get to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. So the children of Israel have refused to go into the promised land. God is upset about it. And, you know, I believe God is the same. He doesn't change. He still gets upset. I know there's a lot of people nowadays that teach, you know, that God doesn't get upset anymore and he's pleased with all of us all the time. And I think that's a terrible lie. We should want to please him. We should desire to please him. But so God kind of got ticked off out of them. And Moses prayed that they would be forgiven. And this is what God said. The Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Verse 21. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Now, I believe this is God's desire, has been his desire even before Jesus, was his desire, you know, for at least 4,000 years ago. I believe it has always been his eternal desire that he wants to fill the earth with his glory. So he says, you know what, children of Israel, I have pardoned you, but I'm swearing that I'm going to fill the earth with my glory. I'm going to do it. 
I'm mad that you didn't allow yourselves to be the ones that allowed me to do it through you. I'm upset that you didn't, you were not the instrument to bring my glory to fill the earth, but I'm still going to do it. Hallelujah. And I believe in our day that God also still wants to fill the earth with his glory. Not to fill our church with his glory. But to fill the earth with his glory. Hallelujah. There are so many Christians that simply desire that their church would be filled with the glory of God. We had a meeting and God's glory showed up. Great. That's wonderful. That's a start. But God's desire is not for his glory to be limited to our church. It's for the earth, not even Cheyenne. It's for the earth not to have a dabbling or a sprinkling, but to be filled with the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. So, you know, what does it mean when God is going to fill the earth with his glory? And I know this may be a reminder to you. I'll, I'll chance re, rewatering some seed. So Moses in the Old Testament, children of Israel have messed up again. This is in Exodus. It's even before we've read in Numbers. And God speaks about, you know, destroying him. He, he, he spoke of this several times. So the first time God says, you know, I'm going to wipe out all the people. You know, start from you. And Moses prays and then God says to him, you know, I'm pardoning according to your word. And then uh, they have this conversation and God says to Moses, basically, I'll, I'll bring the children of Israel into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. I'll give them what I said. I'll drive out the inhabitants, but I'm not going. And Moses says, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. You know, for a lot of people, they'd be happy just going to the promised land and leaving God behind. You know, they'd just be happy to say, okay, you know, it's fine. You want to stay here? As long as I get all the perks of, of, you know, what you promised, that's fine. I don't really need you. I just want what you have for me. But Moses said, I don't want that. Hallelujah. And I believe God wants to raise up a people that say, we don't want a church that simply looks like it's the church. We want to have your presence. We want you to go with us. And so God says to Moses, okay, I'll, I'll go with you. And then Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. Now, here's one of the best definitions of glory I think that there is in the scriptures. He says to Moses, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. So what does God's glory contain? It contains all of God's goodness. And then he says, I'll have compassion on those I'll have compassion on. Uh, mercy, some Bibles say mercy to those who have mercy on. And, you know, I'll be gracious to those I'll be gracious to. So we find grace and mercy or grace and compassion. And when the glory of God shows up, that's basically what God manifests himself in is grace and compassion or grace and mercy. You remember when Jesus was on the scene, people would cry out and say, have mercy on us or have compassion on us. You know what they were asking for? They were asking for God's glory. And Jesus gave them a dose of God's glory and caused them to be healed. It was a manifestation of the glory of God. Hallelujah. It wasn't just simply a cloud. Thank God. 
Hallelujah. Because some of us, we, you know, we long to see the glory cloud. I just want to see the glory cloud. God doesn't want you simply to see the glory cloud. He wants you to manifest the glory. And you may never see the cloud. Hallelujah. But you can see the impact of the glory in people's lives. You know, in John chapter 11, uh, Jesus has this conversation. Lazarus has been dead four days, right? And so Jesus says, roll away the stone. And one of the sisters says, by now, he stinks. And what does Jesus say? He said, haven't I told you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So in, in, as we pass over into the New Testament with the Messiah, with the anointed one, he says, I'm not asking you to ask me to show you the glory. That's Old Testament. I'm telling you, and I told you before, if you believe, you will see it. Hallelujah. And so they believed, and what happened? It, God showed them his glory. Lazarus arose from the dead. Hallelujah. So, you know, when I say, God, show me your glory, what God would be saying to me is, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you'll see it? If you don't believe, you won't see it. But I'm not longing to see the, you know, the mist in the air, although maybe one day I'll see it, and that will be wonderful. I want to see the manifestation of the glory over and over and over again. See, when Jesus was walking the earth, and healing the crowds, and healing them, they were seeing God as they never saw him before. They even said that. They said, we have never seen anything like this. In the, in the original language, it says, we are seeing as we have never seen. And what does the word glory mean? In the New Testament, the word glory has the idea of allowing you to see as it really is. So when God's glory shows up, it allows people to see him as he really is. And that's why God wants to fill the earth with it, because when the earth is being filled with it, people can say, you know what? I know what God is like. He's a God of compassion. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of power. He shows up when we believe the glory is manifested. Hallelujah. Now, in order to, to, again, to take that place, we have to be willing to suffer to get there. You know, sometimes I watch some of these old people that were used, not old, but, you know, 60s and 50s and used by God. And they had, you know, generally a general message to say, you know why I'm being used by God? Because I was willing to go to the cross. If you want this, you've got to pay the price. Now, we have cheapened that nowadays, believing that we can have, you know, what God wants us to have without going the pathway of self-denial. Praise God. But there's a real, a reality that we need to bring to the earth. And I believe that God can be frustrated with Robert, just like he's frustrated with the children of Israel. He can be frustrated with me if I don't go to the land of promise. And if I don't manifest his glory, he'll be frustrated. Is it going to take faith to manifest his glory? Yes. Are there going to be the majority of people that tell you you cannot get there? Yes. The overwhelming majority are not going to be at your back blowing the wind behind you. 
I mean, you know, let's say the 12 spies, right? These are the 12 commandos. I mean, these are the 12 top guys. And 10 of them come back and say, you, we can't have this. Not, not, I mean, not even thinking about the massive crowds who are not the 10, right? So if, if you're going to go where God is calling you to go, you've got to be able to hear his voice and believe that God can take you there, even though the other people cannot see you getting there. Praise the Lord. I remember when Mary and I, we, you know, we were invited to this uh, group in Botswana. And uh, they said that they had, you know, finances, that they wanted to help a charitable organization. And we thought, praise God, we need help. And, you know, someone's told us about it. And we went there and they said, okay, what's your plans? And we told them about the orphan center. There was probably, I don't know, 20 women there or 25 that made up this group. And one by one, they stood up and said, you'll never be able to do that. It's too big. That's impossible. You should forget about that. Who do you think you are? You know, one after the other. You know, by the time we left that house, we were like, thank God we came to this place. But thank God we went to that place because something rose up on the inside of us and said, yes, it is impossible with us, but it's not impossible with God. Hallelujah. And yes, you always have people that can see all the obstacles. And, you know, the devil wants you to look at the obstacles. He doesn't want you to look at the promises. And so, you know, Jesus said, if you believe, you'll see it. Hallelujah. It's not, you know, it's not a mystery how you get to work in the glory of God. It's not a mystery. Simply believing. Now, believing, the word believe means to be persuaded. It means to have an assurance. It is not a hope. Okay, many people confuse faith and hope. Jesus never said to anyone, your hope has done anything for you as far as helping you experience the glory. No, never. Now, the word hope, biblical hope is a good word. It means to have an expectation. But even expectation is not faith. Assurance is faith. Hallelujah. So assurance says, I know the conclusion before I even ask the question. You know, I, I have an assurance. Hallelujah. Okay, if, you know, for any of us in this room today, if I asked you, are you born again? Do you have eternal life? You're not wishy-washy about it. You have an assurance. Right? You're settled. Absolutely settled in your assurance. Now, there was a time in your life where you didn't have that same assurance. Do you remember those times? Remember the times when you used to go to church and they'd give an altar call and you'd wonder, should I go for that or not? Right? Am I really saved? Maybe I'm not really saved. I, maybe I should go. But there came a place where you, be, you, for some of us in this room, because maybe some of you are still not there yet, you came to a place where you reached a place of assurance. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, if you have assurance, if you believe, the verb of the word faith, if you, if you believe, you'll see it. Not as a spectator, but you'll experience it. Hallelujah. 
And so we, as the body of Christ, as the body of the anointed one, if we believe it, we'll begin to experience it. All of God's goodness, all of God's compassion, all of God's mercy. Now, if you go back to, I'll just save time. If you go back to the book of Exodus where he talks about this, he says, I'm going to proclaim my name before you. And so glory is tied to the name. It has always been tied to the name. Even if you go to chapter, that's 33. If you go to 34, again, it's the proclamation of the name tied to glory. And so it is the proclamation of the name that also allows us to interact with all of God's goodness, all of God's mercy, all of God's grace. Hallelujah. All right, let's look at a couple of passages, and I'll try to, to tie some bow ties and release us. Let's go to the, the, the book of John chapter 1. See, I believe what God was saying to the children of Israel is, I don't want to just forgive you. I want to manifest myself. John chapter 1, verse 12. This is a familiar verse, probably for many. It says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Now, personally, I don't believe that he's simply talking about being born again here, although it includes that. I believe he's talking about something far bigger than that. Because in biblical times, when John is writing this, and people considered, thought of someone being a child of God, it wasn't someone that carried a book around and sang a few songs. It was like Hercules. He was a child of the gods, right? Okay, so, you know, when, when people saw Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas, they said, the gods have come among us. Right? And they had to tell him, no, no, we're not, we're not those guys. But they were manifesting themselves as children of God, not as churchgoers. Okay, not as song singers, although we should go to church and sing songs. I don't believe that this is what it's talking about. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to create my offspring in the earth. And that's why the Bible says we are new creatures in Christ. We're a new species. We have different limitations on our lives than the rest of humanity. Remember, Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, you're acting like mere men. You're jealous. You're fighting over things. You care about things that you shouldn't care about, position and all those kinds of things in the world. And you're, you're acting like mere men. You've forgotten that you're a child of God. Hallelujah. Now, this word become... You know, when I used to read this verse, I used to say, okay, to as many as received them, and gave them power to become the children of God. Well, becoming has the idea of progressing. Not to be, but to become. Now, the word become here means to arise or to arise on stage or to appear in history. In other words, what I believe John is saying is he gave you, if you believe in his name, he gave, gives you the ability to be those who arise in history, 
who take their place on the public stage and manifest the glory of God. Hallelujah. Not for ourselves, but for him. We need to arise. Hallelujah. We need to appear in history. You know, I believe some of you in this room, you probably read books about Smith Wigglesworth, right? What did he do? He arose, didn't he? I mean, he appeared in history. We're still reading about it, aren't we? And we say, wow, I mean, to live back then when, you know, he raised 23 people from the dead. What did Smith Wigglesworth have? He was willing to suffer, and he had power, right? He had the power to manifest as a child of God. Hallelujah. We've read about other people, so probably some of us in this room, we've read about, you know, John G. Lake or, you know, others. What did they have? Did they have anything different than you and I have as far as birthright? No. But they allowed themselves to become. Was it easy to become? No, it wasn't easy to become. Right? Because even as I'm speaking now, some of you got arguments in your mind. You know, you're fighting. It happens, right? What are you saying? What is this guy saying? We're going to be like God. We're going to, you know, blah, 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 blah. Is it going to be easy to break out of the mold of common Christianity? No, it's not going to be easy. But the world needs us to. They need us to. And I believe that God will be frustrated with me, with me, with me, if I don't allow myself to become that which Jesus died for me to become. I mean, he put me in Christ not just to forgive my sins. He gave me a position in the spiritual realm for the sake of others as well as myself. And I believe he'd be frustrated if I don't take that place. Okay, let's go at just a couple more verses. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Gentile or the Greek. So where is the power of God? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the good news about the anointed one. Because the gospel is the power. Hallelujah. Now, one thing I have learned, at least in part in my Christian life, is the power is in the message more than in the person. Now, should we have personal power? Yes. But the gospel itself, the message, is the power. So if I want to bring people in contact with the power, I have to bring them the message. See, many times we're trying to connect people to the power without the message. We're trying to connect people to the power through our prayers. And you know what? Most times, or can I say many times, that doesn't work. 
Because that's not how you connect people to the power, generally. Hello? It's what we do. It's what we try to do. But to be honest with us, most of us would be disappointed at our percentage rates of success and actually bringing people into the glory of God where they can get help. Is that true or am I lying? Because that is not the prescription to get people help. The prescription to get people help is the message when people believe it, it brings them into salvation. Salvation is a big word, right? means healing, means deliverance, means wholeness. It means, you know, safety. So how do I bring someone into healing? How do I bring someone into deliverance? I have a message about the Messiah. Hallelujah. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement for your peace was upon him. By his stripes, you are healed. Surely he has borne your sicknesses and carried your pains. He's alive. Hallelujah. I've got a message about the Messiah. And if people will believe that, I bring them into the glory. Hallelujah. But without that, many times I'm not using the method of actually bringing him to the glory. So Paul came across, and you know, we, we admire Paul, and he did wonderful things, and thank God for him, but Paul understood where the power was. The power was in the message. And he says, the people that are going to be saved are those who believe the message. Hallelujah. Not simply those that we pray for. Most people that get saved get saved because of their own personal faith even in jesus ministry right most of them he would say to them your faith has made you well according to your faith let it be done unto you you know when jesus heard about a sick person what was his response okay i'll go with you did he just send a prayer from afar why not When Apostle Paul heard about Publius being sick, why didn't he just say, okay, let's say a prayer for Publius? That's what we'd do, right? We'd say, we heard that Publius was sick, so let's say a prayer for Publius. No, he went to Publius. He laid his hands on Publius. He ministered healing to Publius. Very, very rarely that it is done from a distance very rare in the scriptures but you know what distance is more convenient for us hello because it's going to take my time to go to someone's house and spend some time talking to them about the message and then putting my faith where it should be and releasing the glory of God into their body hallelujah but that is going to work 10,000 more times than the other way. Hallelujah. Now, you don't have to agree with me. I'm just a traveling in, traveling out, right? There was a, I was preaching in California last week, and there was a man that came forward. He said, you know, I want you to, you know, here I am. I, I did a healing service, actually. And uh, he said, you know, I'm standing in for my wife, and 
she's got diabetes and she's in pain at home and we've got, you know, our granddaughter's got this and that. And I said, uh, where do you live? He says, I live, you know, a little ways from the church. I said, okay, I'll come to your house. Because why? I know that if I pray for that man for his wife, I'm not going to get an answer. Let's just be honest. Proxy prayer doesn't work very much. Hello? Does it, Pastor? Not very much. So I said to the pastor, we got to go to, you know, are you willing to go to the people's house? Head up sends the, the plans for the afternoon. We're going to go out to lunch, and then we're going to do this and do that. But we went to her house. She'd been prayed for so many times. You know when people get prayed for so many times, they get discouraged, their expectations drop so low. And I said, you know, I know you've been prayed for so many times. Can I share with you the message a little bit? And I shared with her, you know, Psalm 103, verse 2 and 3. Forget not the Lord and all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and who heals all your diseases. And I took her to Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. And, you know, I could tell when I'm first preaching to her, she's thinking, you know, I wish this guy would just say a quick prayer and leave. Because when I got to the house, that's what they said. Okay, we're ready for you to pray. I said, but I'm not ready. Because you've already done this, you know, how many times in my heart. That's what I was saying. That, I know you're not going to get help if I simply try to step into prayer without preparing you. And then after, you know, I could see it's beginning to dawn on her. And she's beginning to be positioned. And when I laid my hands on her, the pains left. And she started crying. Now her unbelieving son walked through the door. You know, looking like he'd just come out of an alleyway. And he sees his mom crying, you know. And she's, you know... And, you know, we you know, look up and say, we're praying for your mom that she'd be well. And he says, Mom, how do you feel? Mom, are you really better? Mom, is the pain really gone? Mom, Mom. You know, you can see this, uh, you know, hardened young man. You know, tears begin to come out of his eyes. You know what he's doing? He's being allowed to see God as he's never seen him before. The glory is showing up in the living room. You know, and the mom is, you know, and we get to leave. But we've brought it, at least to that part of the earth. You understand what I'm saying this morning? And, you know, that's not just because that's the power is in the message. The Bible says they went out and preached and the Lord confirmed his word with the accompanying signs. And that's what we need to understand is that if we have the message, then the Lord will confirm our message. He won't confirm us. And you've got to stop worrying about personal confirmation of yourself. You know, you've got to stop, you know, just wanting everyone to confirm you all the time. You, you understand what I'm saying? Now, there's nothing wrong when God inspires it. But there has to come a point where you say, you know, it's not about how I feel about myself. It's about him. He's responsible to confirm his word. Hallelujah. Because, you know, the temptation is, is to pull back because what about me? What will people think of me if God doesn't show up? Right? Because we're afraid of what people think of us. We have the fear of man, don't we? Some of us. I have it. Try to take hold of me. But what do you, you have to push through it. And you have to say, but, you know, it's not my reputation that's on the line. It's yours. I gave them your word. You know what Jesus says? He says, you'll do the works that I do and even greater works 
because I go into the Father. Then he goes on and says, but it won't be you that does it, it's me. He says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So, you know, I know that when I lay hands on people, it's not me doing it. I even say to the Lord under my breath, okay, I did my part, now you have to do it. Because that's what you said, you'd do it. So it's, it's, your, it's your thing. I can't heal the people, but you can. You said you would. And God is giving us. That's why the Bible says you are able to arise because of those who believe in his name. When you believe in his name, believe means you have an assurance in his name. You've got an assurance, not a hope even, an assurance. So that when you say something in the name of Jesus, you have an assurance it will be. That's why when someone's sick, one of the methods they use is, don't send a message to the elders to pray a prayer for you, right? It says, call for them, and they're going to come to you. And they're going to pray the prayer of faith right there in your presence, a prayer of assurance. Hallelujah. Now, I have to realize about myself that I may not always be walking in assurance, so what do I have to do? I've got to water my faith. I've got to hear the word of God more so that assurance comes. Remember, I'm trying to wrap up. Remember in, in James chapter 1? where he talks about prayer. He says, if anyone asks of wisdom, you know, let him ask of the giving God who gives to all liberally. Hallelujah. But let him ask in faith. Then it goes on in the next verse and says, if you don't ask in faith, tell that person, how much will he get from God? Nothing. What is faith? Faith is an assurance. I remember in Botswana when I lost my permits and they were telling us we were going to have to leave Botswana. And that was shortly before they asked us to speak to the leaders. You know, and it was a real storm. And, you know, I was praying, you know, God, please, you know, I need my permits. And you've got to stay here. Please help us to get our permits. And I remember we're in the middle of a worship service at church on a Sunday. And it's in my mind. It's, you know, I'm voicing it again. And God says to me, you're not in faith. So I'm not answering. Get in faith. And I had to make an adjustment to say, you know what? You're right. I'm in hope. I'm in desperation. I'm in need. I'm in fear. I'm doing the religious thing. I'm asking you again and again and again. And you have the grace to tell me that I'm not in faith and you're right. I'm not. So what do I need to do? I need to back up and put in what is required to get me to a place where I can pray from a place of assurance. Hallelujah. So many of us are praying about things without any assurance. And God many times is saying, just take, you know, take a moment, get to assurance, and then ask me. Because what does the Bible say? Grace comes through faith, right? So if I send my faith upward, it allows God's mercy to come to me through it. Without faith, grace can't reach me. Now, sometimes through spiritual gifts, and your church is blessed in that you talk about spiritual gifts and you operate in spiritual gifts. Even spiritual gifts, it's the faith of the person that is operating the spiritual gift that allows God's grace to touch someone. And that's why we need to walk in spiritual gifts because sometimes it allows us to help people who are not yet in faith. 
But most people are not going to be helped through spiritual gifts. Most people are going to be helped through the message. And so we need to couple them together, hallelujah, so that we operate in both. I mean, uh, John Lake, right? Healing rooms. People would come in and they'd preach to them and then pray for them, right? A lot of times. They'd preach and pray. Because they knew sometimes people weren't in a position simply received by praying. And I know you know these principles. But I'm trying to reiterate them so that we can bring the glory of God. Hallelujah. We can, not I can or Benny Hinn can or your favorite superhero, pastor. No, not all of us, right? Because we're the body of Christ and members of him. Hallelujah. Okay, last verse. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. For there is salvation... Okay, sorry. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name, right, that brings salvation? What's the context of that? Is he talking about being born again? He's not, is he? A healing has occurred. They're being persecuted because a healing has taken place. And, and, and you know, the apostle saying, there's no other name that can bring salvation. Hallelujah. Now, most of us in this room, I would adventure have a complete assurance in there being no other name for eternal life. But that's not the context. The context is really the context of healing. And I believe that we need to take that same assurance that we had for there's no other name that brings salvation. It's that big word, right? That there's no other name that also brings healing. Hallelujah. And if we believe in that name, and we understand how to work with it, then we can have the same assurance of getting people healed that we had of getting them saved. Hallelujah. The same level of assurance. So that we'll not be afraid when we hear words like cancer or diabetes or deafness or blindness or whatever it is because there's no other name. Hallelujah. But to those who believe in his name, it allows them to become the children of God. And thank God, God can have some children here in Cheyenne. Hallelujah. I want to be one of those kids that has become a child of God. Hallelujah. Now, two things in closing. In the book of John, 1 John, John is talking about the issue of prayer. He says, we receive from him because, we receive from him because of something. Because we believe in his name. 
and we love one another. We receive from him because of something. Hallelujah. Why, why don't I get my prayers answered? Well, this, these two areas you've got to check on. And, and it goes on and says in the verse before, we're commanded to believe in his name. You know, you're, I mean, I'm commanded to believe in his name. Because I can have his name but not really believe in it. What does it mean to believe in it? It means to have an assurance in his name, right? So that this name is above every other name. And have not a hope that that's true, but an assurance. This is above that. Hallelujah. And I've been given this so that I can use this. And I've got an assurance. This will do that. Hallelujah. I'm commanded by God, believe in the name. Hallelujah. Are there giants to cause me not to believe in his name? Yes. Right? I mean, the medical world stands there as a giant. They've even stolen our symbol, right? They've got the serpent on the pole. Those thieves and liars. Okay? Now, I'm not speaking against, you know, thank God, you know, there are doctors and nurses. Praise the Lord. But you understand what I'm saying. The medical world will say this is terminal. This is the end of the line. And we need people like Jesus that say, no, that is not true. And I have an assurance that what I have is bigger than that. Hallelujah. And I've got a message. I've got good news for you. Hallelujah. You're going to live and not die. Hallelujah. With long life, he'll satisfy you and show you his salvation. Jesus has been wounded for that. He has bore your sicknesses and carried your pains. And I've got an assurance that this is more than that. Hallelujah. We're commanded to be there as believers. And then to love one another. Now, this is the area where many of us lose our privileges is in our love walk. What Jesus came to give us can be lost by not loving others. So you don't want to step into the realm of principalities and powers when you're not in love with other people. Because you get the daylights beat out of you. I mean, that's the reality. I've been there. I know what it's like to have them twist my back up into all, you know, round and round and be in excruciating pain. We've been there on death's door. It's not very pleasant. That's why the Bible says when you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. So, you know, I don't want to step into that realm not positioned properly because the Bible says if I submit to God, then I can resist the devil and he'll flee from me. And God is saying, love that person who I don't want to love. And he's telling me, just, you know what? I'm not asking you whether you want to do it or not. I'm telling you, do it. Submit. Right? Yield. But when we step into that place where, does that involve suffering? Wow. It does, doesn't it? It involves suffering to give up all those thoughts at night while you're laying on your bed and you're rehearsing how they hurt you and, you know, how you wish that, you know, somehow something bad would happen. To have you ever been there? 
wishing they would fail, wishing they'd get their comeuppance, you know. Remember, it is, the, you know, healing was revealed at the waters of bitterness. And it wasn't to the waters of bitterness that were removed that God could speak about healing. And sometimes that's the thing that has to be removed even out of us to get healed is the waters of bitterness. We've got to flow on the inside of us of bitterness. We're, we're, we're in the waters. And what the Lord says, he took a branch of the tree and threw it into the waters and he healed the waters. What's that branch? It's the cross. It's not only Christ's cross, it's your cross. He wants to throw his cross and your cross into the waters of bitterness and heal them. And then he says, now I'll show you I'm a healer. Hallelujah. I want to thank Pastor Jay and the, the leaders for allowing us to come. I want to thank you for your part in the body of Christ. I want to say to you, I need your prayers. We need your prayers. Prayers of faith for us, though. Hallelujah. You know, because we, we are, we're not... Uh, We're, we're a mixture between God and human. And sometimes that human part really needs a lot of help. Amen? And I want to encourage you to arise and shine. Hallelujah. Arise and shine. Take the message. You know, if you know some people that, that really need help, take them the message. Give them some time to hear the message. And if you need to hear the message... Hear the message. Hallelujah. So that you can be in a position to help them. Praise God. Jesus is the same. You know, in the church in California, I came from a place, you know, one of the ladies was blind in one eye. Praise God, she's not blind anymore. Hallelujah. You know, there were a couple of people there that had ear problems. Their ears just popped open. Praise God. God is, Christ is able. Hallelujah. That's why he's our Messiah. Amen. And he wants to do that through us. Hallelujah. Amen. Pastor Jay. Thank you, Rob. That was a good word, huh? All right. Okay. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a message for us. Yeah. Yeah, very timely. Very good. Uh, so I just want to remind everybody, uh, sign up sheets for Cover Cheyenne and also love offering uh, for Rob and Mary. And uh, we, we will continue to pray for you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, does anybody else have anything that needs to be shared or said? Okay. Well, Father, we thank you. Uh, thank you for your glory, your power. Thank you that you've called us to be vessels for you. Thank you for calling us to the cross. And Lord, let your glory cover the earth.
Lord, bless Rob and Mary as they go. Bless their ministry in Botswana. Uh, thank you for bringing them here today. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>